Hi, and welcome to Captivated Audience. My name is Marie Lundberg, and I'm joined as always by Sam Sheen, my friend and professional colleague. Hi, Sam. How are you doing today? Brilliant, Marie. How are you? Well, thank you for asking. I'm doing quite well. We have a really interesting guest today, don't we? We sure do. And you know, Marie, over the last five years, AI has evolved from a really interesting idea as a tool to actually help with financial crime prevention to actually a rapidly evolving must-have in the arsenal for some financial institutions. And you know, today's guest works at one of the technology companies who's actually been at the forefront of these activities. In other words, they don't just use the AI acronym, they actually use the technology. So welcome, David. Could you introduce yourself, your company, and what part of the world you're based? Sure. Sam, Marie, good morning. Uh, I'm great to speak to you again. I'm Dave Christie. I'm an early round investor, recent CEO, now chairman of Blackwin, which is a rich tech startup based in Paris, France. And we focus on delivering a range of software and services for fraud detection and ML transaction monitoring for both banks and fintechs. David, can you tell us, please, what type of AI technology does Blackwin specialize in? Sure. Uh, Blackwin specializes in behavioral analytics, which uh, essentially profiles someone's past activity, pulling in additional data that may be available, like demographics, KYC information, device information, etc., to make predictions on an outcome, like a transaction being suspicious, for example. Uh, you probably don't realize it, but everybody has a unique behavior. For example, you probably buy your groceries from similar stores, uh, from a few select stores, spend similar amounts each week, have clusters of purchase around where you work and where you live, and you probably transact around similar times. And that will be different from uh, others, including people in your own family unit. And we compute, store, and compare these in real time to non-fraudulent and suspicious types, as well as your own personal behavior. We use machine learning to enrich these basic data flows that you get from transactional systems to detect the weak signals that suspicious behavior actually generates. And we use these in conjunction with your own normal behavior to alert for those suspicious transactions. And there's more. We, we also use some other mat mathematical techniques like Bayesian optimization to help optimize the production AI models when they're in uh, actual uh, running mode, as well as using them similar type techniques to do rule optimization for legacy platforms. We can put in business constraints like available staff or target KRIs and help tune the AI system to them particular business constraints. Wow, you are covering a lot of areas for sure. So David, I just have to ask, your company's name is quite unique. We had a quick open search and the results had a connection to a truth serum. But seriously, how did the name of the company come about? Yeah, that's correct. You know, Blackburn was originally the AI research team of a, a company called ERCOM, which provided cybersecurity services for the French government from uh, protecting Macron from the NSC and various other things behind the scenes that we're not really allowed to disclose. As part of the, the gig that they were given for the French government, they were trying to find the truth, deep truth in the data. The founding team there thought there was a parallel piece of work that was done with Dr. William Blackwen who was an analyst, slightly different uh, way of approaching, finding the deep truth in people. And the name stuck. We thought it was pretty cool. It's a bit of an icebreaker when we're in conferences, when people ask about the name. But the, the team also came up with the logo of the iceberg because it's what's hidden below the surface that typically harms you. Cool. 
David, you know, what's the area of financial crime that your technology helps in detecting or preventing? Because while people have a number of different tools out there, yours for some time now has been really doing some interesting work in finding out where the bad guys are and stopping them. Over the, the first few years, we were primarily focused on the more difficult to detect variants of fraud, where banks and FIs have historically struggled uh, to deal with due to their legacy platforms. And our clients have had a lot of success using our platform to detect things like APP fraud, uh, for example, you know, CEO fraud or investment scams. Uh, and this is where criminal will use you as a Trojan horse uh, to bypass other security checks and, and actually very, very difficult to detect because it's typically across a, a real-time uh, payments network and it's usually done online to get away from you know, the prying eyes of uh, our, our very good uh, internal uh, analysts uh, and bank staff. So it's really difficult to detect. And, and what we can do is we can use behavioral analytics uh, to identify the differences between your normal behavior and the behavior of a criminal. That technique is also very good at detecting uh, credit origination fraud, uh, specifically the residual fraud that other techniques like ID checking and uh, credit reference agencies can't find. So we can uh, detect things like synthetic ID fraud or false declaration fraud. It's different data sets, but it's the same type of approach. And we don't really need to know who you are like the other systems do. We need to know how you behave and more importantly, how criminals tend to behave. And we can use that to identify these things and it's very complementary to them other types of checks but more recently we've expanded and expanded the range of the platform uh, to include AML transaction monitoring where we can use specific models specific features within the models and different approaches within that domain to get better results of finding the, the different types of typologies and, and, and approaches that criminals will use on the money laundering sort, side of things. Uh, it's a single platform. You can actually run these things in parallel. So you can take the same data stream, enrich it slightly differently, send it off through two different models and bring it back together to get a complete picture of the uh, the risk. Okay, David. So being an investigator myself, I really like it when the tech you're using can visualize the results as a powerful help. I do know that Blackwen uses something called graph theory. Can you please explain to us how this works? Yeah, we, we use graph theory. It's, it's only one component of the, the solution and the visualization techniques that we use. How it works is obviously really complex, but in mathematics, you know, graph theory is the study of graphs, which are mathematical structures uh, between different objects within a network. The most iconic probably being the tube network. That is based on topology and not geography, and that helps you navigate the tube network easily. You use graph theory and graph networks in your everyday life. You know, every time you step in your car and you use your sat-nav to calculate the route, whether it be the fastest or the shortest route to your destination in road networks. But banks can use this exact same techniques to analyze the flow of payments between you know, bank accounts. Uh, and that can be then used to identify uh, suspicious behavior. And graph theory and tries to answer you know, three or four basic questions. How do things travel through the network? What are the most influential points in the network? What are the groups and significant groups and interactions within the network? And what are the patterns? And you know that piece on patterns is where you see the visualizations. Uh, and that really helps you tease out uh, quickly the essence of what's good and what's bad. There are many types of graphs uh, and there's lots of different uh, approaches. It has its own terminology, which is really complex behind the scenes, like nodes, edges, degrees, vertex, and all that sort of good stuff. 
you know, a, a good system will abstract out of the way so that you can see very easily the, uh, the interactions across, whether it be an insurance fraud ring, whether it be mule network and payments or wherever it might be. Graph computations essentially create an enriched set of information about the relationships between these entities in some form of network. And it's, it's something that's not directly visible when you're looking at a specific entity and its underlying transactions on its own. It's only when you connect this thing in a full ecosystem that you can then start getting an appreciation of the whole thing. Agreed. And also, from my point of view, as an investigator, again, and it also helps with efficiency because a lot of time is being lost trying to model through all that data that's being generated, where to start digging, I would yeah. say. Yeah. And this is where it obviously creates your efficiencies. Um, so you're getting uh, rid of the noise, mm -hmm. allows you to focus on the key things in an easy, what we call a human contextual way. Because the underlying data is actually numbers in a machine learning model, and humans can't obviously understand that. So without graph visualization tools, you can't do that. But there are other ways of teasing that information out to identify which parts of those graphs are important and bringing those to the surface. So it's not just the unusual shapes that some of these networks create. It's also the magnitude and the priority to allow you to focus on the key ones. David, you and I first met in 2019 at a Transform Finance conference. I remember because it was just around the corner at Canary Wharf and feels like a million years ago that we actually had face-to-face -face conferences. I remember the time we were talking about what your technology did and how it could be used. You've actually put to practice and given some real-life examples of how the technology works. So you ran this really interesting exercise the year before in 2018. And you looked at tweets on the Catalan independence movement, and then you explained how that ties in with how your technology works. Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. Um, uh, this was a period that was pre-spin-off and was a piece of work that the research team did on the qualification of strange clustering events linked to the metadata, not the content of the actual underlying tweet. So we weren't looking at sentiment. We were actually looking at the, the newism. So where was the tweet done? Um, you know, how long, uh, how many characters was in the tweet? These sort of elements rather than the actual content. We used that to try and identify and then make predictions on in important events. It was a cool piece of work. It did help shape some of the way that we approach uh, teasing out what we call fundamental uh, feature engineering in, in the product uh, and created a, 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 what we call a family of features around the, the graph, which is one of a number of uh, probably four or five features that we use within the product. But it was purely a, a piece of research. And the research is done actively outside of FinCrime because there are a lot of parallels across different industries. And it's easier to get access to that type of data than just banking data. Uh, and obviously for a startup, having access to them sort of different te techniques allows you to do research much faster. It allows you to iterate the product faster, but it's also cool for the, uh, the teams because they get to work on something that's completely different. And we give our teams um, roughly about 10, 15% of their time to look at something completely different. That isn't what we do. That helps them grow. It helps them uh, widen their experience, but it also brings in new techniques that we probably would never think thought about. And that helps us develop our product. And then what we try and do is share that back with the community. You know, as you know, the Think Crime community is very close. Um, there's lots of things going on and people are moving at different paces. And what we believe strongly in is sharing that intelligence. Uh, so we shared that blog 
Uh, more recently, we updated one of the algorithms called XGBoost uh, to work within performance constraints that a bank would particularly want, well, whilst being explainable. And we contributed that back to the community as well. So it's just a way of approaching these sort of you know, challenges using lateral thinking, which is great. Nice. And we do know the powers in the data. And as you know, David, we love to talk about data. We understand that Blackwin is working in collaboration with another party, not only on graph theory, but also setting up a laboratory to look at transactions. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Yeah, this is a, uh, an interesting collaboration across multiple parties, uh, which includes Blackwin, it includes the Sorbonne University, uh, uh, and their propeller heads, uh, their you know, deep academics, as well as a couple of our banking partners. Bringing these guys together is really important because you may know that only about 10% of AI models ever make it into production. And making that leap from lab to production is extremely hard. Uh, and that's because these worlds are so disconnected. You know, the, the, the technologies and, and the security constraints in a lab are completely different from what's in the real world. And therefore, to bridge this, Blackwin invested in what we call applied research. It's not just pure theoretical stuff, which is what the academics do. It's actually how do we bring that to the real world? What we did is we, we identified the most promising academic research in the areas that we were interested in. And we took that and converged that with real-world use cases from our banking partners and their data, as well as the domain experience on how to productionize it from us and the domain experience from the underlying banks, and use that to try and create something new. As you know, we mentioned before, graph analytics is really powerful, uh, but they tend to be used in a static context. But as you know, criminals move in a dynamic way and are constantly evolving. So it's a bit of an arms race. And therefore, we've got to keep in the forefront of keeping one step ahead of these guys. And these more forward-thinking banks are, are really cool at getting involved in these sort of programs through people like us. So this current lab that we're working on is where we're trying to weave the temporal nature of transactions with the theory of graph. And we call it link streams. And it's pretty cool. Um, it's very, very early days, but the initial proof of concepts that we've been doing on some real world data are starting to show some promise. It's got a little bit of refinement to do, but we're nearly there. All right, David, we're at the show and tell point. We never let a guest come on without giving us something juicy and interesting to illustrate that their technology actually works. Sure. But can you tell us, can you give us a, a good tale on how your technologies help to you detect some financial crime? When we typically engage our, uh, our clients, uh, they have a legacy-based rule system in, in place. And as I mentioned, jumping from them to AI is not easy because implementing typically being at the center of the, the challenges of bringing that to life. Uh, but what I'd like to highlight is a, is a global tier one bank that we were working with. And, and even before we trained the, the, the first model, we used the AI techniques that underpin the model to create an enriched data set. Uh, and it's one of the great things about AI. Um, and as part of that, we were allowed synthetic signals that could also be used in their rule system. And, and this allowed us to then use AI to uh, tune their rules-based architecture to uh, find some edge cases that, they, that you wouldn't typically find. And you would typically need a full-blown AI model to find. Uh, and this allowed them to detect some very large frauds that were hidden very deep within their, their architecture, uh, which, was a, which was quite a success. 
Uh, and since then, they've been able to play with our rules threshold optimization to, to tune down the false positives that these sort of things would typically create. So that was was quite a successful uh, approach. So, you know, large uh, frauds, which are very infrequent, are very hard to detect. Uh, and that we were able to use the, the core components of our platform to, to, to find that. And more powerful was that the because we built explainable AI in the system, it explains why and what features triggered that particular uh, decision. It allows you in a human contextual way to explain that, but like the visualization in graphs, it's actually explaining why in the context. And, and that helped, allowed them to think about new ways of uh, protecting at the front rather than waiting for it to, to actually happen. Wow. So we get, we, to be able to create more preemptive uh, protection, if that makes sense. But it also sounds really powerful in this case. Yes, um, you know, things like APP fraud are very rare. You know, the number of events that you would have compared to something like cart fraud is a, a fraction. Mm. Uh, and when you're processing, you know, 20, 30 million payments a day, uh, which some of the clients we deal with tend to be doing, it's like finding a needle in a bag of needles with a needle that's trying to hide it. Absolutely. And um, being able to use these techniques to, to surface them, then understand why so that you can put the remediations in, in place, not just the rules or using the model to catch it, but actually fundamentally understanding why it's happening allows you to create a better experience for the client and allows you to protect your business in a, a lot better fashion. But you know, it all goes back to the data. AI is a data beast, it consumes data. And if the data is bad, the model decision is going to be bad. Well, David, explain to us a bit on how the models are being continuously improved, you know, the feedback loop. Sure, that feedback loop that you mentioned, you know, somebody spotting something, qualifying it using explainability, and then being able to pass that information back into the model real time allows the model to evolve faster. So you don't have to take it back off to a data scientist, remodel, and then re-import it, retest it, all that sort of stuff. It's actually dynamically learning. And so we, you know, we believe that it's not just AI or rules or a human. It's all, all of these things are important in creating the best level of defense. We've asked a number of people about the last 12 months and percentages of fraud and financial crime. And obviously people have been behaving differently. So at the start of the podcast, you talked about people shopping typically, buying things at typical hours, going to their local store. And obviously we haven't had a very typical year. So how do you teach the AI not to judge everything against the last 12 months as being the standard of normal behavior? Because clearly by 2022, we'll hopefully be behaving in a very different way. Yeah, I mean, you know, last March, you saw some radical changes in behavior. You know, people got locked down, they went and did a lot more online shopping, they, they shopped from places that they typically wouldn't shop, um, uh, the, you know, things changed quite rapidly. And, you know, AI models can sometimes struggle with them sort of approaches, especially when it's learning on, on history. But if you apply and build your models in the right way, where you look at different uh, ranges of history, you know, long-term history, because, you know, fraud tends to recycle itself in the future, uh, and sort of other types of suspicious behavior. You do it in the medium term and the short term, and then the really short term with the rapid feedback from the, the, the agents and analysts looking at this stuff. You can build a better defense for that sort of stuff. You will still get caught. You, you will still see detection drop. Uh, you'll see false positive jump. But that's why it's important to have a combination of AI and rules, because the one good thing about rules is when you spot something, you can code it in right, right there, and then you don't have to learn anything other than your human intelligence and you press end it and it's already applying it. And then within a short space of time, uh, you can either retrain the model, you know, weekly, monthly, uh, you know, quarterly, whatever it is, or you can take an approach where you 
you deploy other techniques. Uh, so you've got supervised, which requires history, or you use other detection techniques, which are called unsupervised, where they can actually not learn from the, the past behavior, but just looking for anomalies. This spew out false positives as well. Uh, so there's no natural panacea. Gradual change tends to get picked up really well, but any major shift is a limitation of the, the environment. And that's why we do believe that you have to have that combination of human intelligence, putting in rules that can be implemented immediately without training, and then obviously the, the AI models in different guises to, to give you multiple layers of defense. And there you have it. On that note, multiple layers of defense. I would just like to say thank you so very much to David Christie for joining us today. Sure. It's an absolute pleasure and great to see you guys again. And on that note, if you would like to take part in one of our future podcasts, or if you have any ideas on topics you'd like us to cover, feel free to reach out to us on our dedicated LinkedIn website, or you can go directly to our website, captivatedaudience.eu, and drop us a message. Until then, please keep going for your vaccination appointments. We hope you and your families are safe, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>